Hey everybody, welcome to Surface Level, curious conversations about the Black and queer experience. I'm one of your hosts, Tony, and today, Jordan, Damon, and I are taking a look at the many layers of the drag experience. I loved the art form. I started to go to the gay clubs and see drag, mm -hmm. but I always said to myself, I would never do drag. Mm. You went from no, absolutely not, to an eyelash away. What made you put those lashes on? Do you know what is gaggy? I have no idea. Oh. I think I literally was at a gig one time and I was like, oh, I'm a drag queen. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> RuPaul was definitely a catalyst in my journey of finding who my artist self was, which ended up being Olivia Lux. Drag queens are like superheroes because you can use this energy and power that you have when you have the wigs and the heels on to help feed and source the energy and confidence for your non-drag self. This is Don't Be a Drag, Just Be a Queen. Mm. <laughs> Love that song. Don't be a drag, baby. Just be a queen. A lyric. I'm excited because we have I think today will be the first time that we have a drag queen on our show. Oh yeah. And so we're <laughs> gonna talk about all things drag. So this is like our inaugural moment. Um, and I'm really excited to introduce today's guest. So recognized for her polished and glamorous style, she captivated us with her charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent on season 13 of RuPaul's Drag Race. And beyond the runway, she is also celebrated for her advocacy and community engagement, contributing to the broader impact of drag culture. And so today we are really honored to welcome Olivia Lux to our surface level family. Welcome. Wow. Thank you for having me, y'all. Welcome. What's up? What's up? This has been a, a, a long time in the making um, for us. And so we're glad to like finally see this to fruition and make mm -hmm. this happen and have you come here and just chit chat with the girls. Have a kiki. <laughs> Honestly, it's a gag because I've been listening to y'all for a minute now. <laughs> um, so it's it's wild that I'm on it because <laughs> I know y'all's voices from like inside my living room type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> So, but this season of our show, we are doing a bit of reflection, and for this episode, who else can we reflect upon but the iconic RuPaul? Mm. And so that's what our little icebreaker game is going to be about. I don't need to go into detail on who RuPaul is. <laughs> you all should do some research if you don't know. You've been living <laughs> under a rock or something. Um, if you've not seen RuPaul's Drag Race, you're missing out. So I'm going to go ahead and get into sort of a RuPaul's pop quiz. So the mm. first one here is quick drag challenge. And Olivia, you're going to have to get us together. This is not Ooh. true because I found this on the internet. <laughs> so according to an insider, contestants on RuPaul's Drag Race are typically given a limited time to get into drag. What is the specific time for this quick drag challenge? A, 45 minutes, B, 60 minutes, C, 90 minutes, or D, 120 minutes? An hour? I'm gonna go with an hour. Okay. It's 90 minutes. Oh. <laughs> Gag. Wait, time out. <laughs> time out. Hold the horses, baby. Um quick drag or like a main stage. It like says quick drag. So I will venture to say that I think all of these answers are incorrect. Okay. Get us together. 
gag. <laughs> we were given, unless there's another season out there that they gave the girls more honey. That's what in which case, that's, I that's need to contact Mama Roo. That's the team that I want. <laughs> um, I, we had to do our mugs in 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah. For the, the For the quick drag, we're doing a mini challenge type mm -hmm, of situation, mm -hmm. but all of those are correct for like the maxi challenges. Got it. Mm. Which still is difficult, but because when you think about it, you're also talking about your stories and your life and your mm -hmm. so you're oh, you're beating your face right. and rouging your cheeks while, while you're talking you're about <laughs> your con was... the connection you have with your grandmother. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, and that's why RuPaul's Drag Race wins the Emmys because right. those stories. I've been to stab myself. I was I was screaming with a pencil. Okay. <laughs> I would pay good money to see it. Sure. Okay, that's a good. I'm gonna have a lash glued to my lip. <laughs> Next question: RuPaul's early influence. So according to the 80s kids article, RuPaul's drag career was influenced by a famous pop group. Which iconic 80s group inspired RuPaul to explore the world of drag? A, the Bengals, B, Culture Club, C, Duran Duran, or D, Bana Bananarama? I don't recognize any of these names. Mm -hmm. I, I was going to say Vanity Six, but maybe. I, I, reckon, <laughs> I recognize this because RuPaul has referenced it on the show. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, Which of these 80s? Culture Club? Ding, ding, ding. Culture Club. Yeah. Yeah, oh. that's the group. That was the one that was the most familiar. I, I wasn't familiar with them, but the yeah. most that mm -hmm. rang a bell for me. Yeah. What's yeah. the song? No, no, don't give me the line. Okay. Right Have you seen those well, vintage videos of RuPaul? No, but on it's like, like YouTube? a. I mean, mm. Village Voice. I mean, like, yeah. very underground. Mm -hmm. yeah. If there's Ru a cure like for RuPaul's this, cover. Too. Like, <laughs> gag. Okay, so next question Drag Race Milestone. RuPaul's Drag Race reached a significant milestone in 2016. What is the milestone, and why was it particularly noteworthy for the drag community? A. 100 episodes, longest running drag show. B, first tra transgender winner, inclusivity breakthrough. C, international expansion, a global phenomenon. Or D, Emmy Award, mainstream recognition. What do we, what say the girls? My spirit is moving me towards international expansion. Okay. Was it the first Emmy? The first what? Emmy. Okay. I think I'm gonna go with a hundredth a hundredth episode was not I think it was earlier, twenty sixteen. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go with first Emmy as well. Ding ding ding. So it was the first Emmy. Mm. Um and, and which ushered in a train of many more to come, as we mm -hmm. all know at this point. Um but yeah, for mainstream recognition, like mm -hmm. to for a show like RuPaul's Drag Race to receive that kind of recognition. Um, you know, like once you have that, it's kind of like, once you're nominated, you're always Emmy nominated, mm -hmm. you know, but uh, once you actually win, yesterday's price is not today's <laughs> price. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> so last one, RuPaul's early stage career. Before gaining widespread fame, RuPaul was involved in the New York City club scene. In the early 80s, RuPaul performed as part of a musical group. What was the name of the musical group? A, Rue and the Revolutionaries, B, the Glam Squad, C, Wee Wee Pole and the Sensations, or D, the Drag Delights? I'm going with Wee Wee Pole and the Sensations <laughs> because I, I want that to be true. Please. What, what? 
Any other guesses? Rue and the Revolutionaries, the Glam Squad, Wee Wee Poe and the Sensations, or the Drag Delights? I'm going to go with B. The Glam Squad. The Glam Squad. I'm between B and C. B and C. (laughs) Knowing Rue, though, I'm going to go with C. Ding, ding, ding. I was like, Glam Squad is a little too conservative. (laughs) I mean, it's just the right amount of over the topness that you would expect. RuPaul thought of this, or Tony was sitting at his house ridiculously writing down <laughs> options and wrote down "We We Poll" and the sensation. I said, "Tony ain't do that. Tony Listen. ain't do that." <laughs> and last but not least, and we asked this to all of our guests, Olivia, what are you curious about? Ooh, yes, uh, the question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> when you are a guest, you get to answer the question. <laughs> long and hard about what I'm curious about like recently and I think um, on a conversation tip I've been curious about like how much accessibility people have to me that's kind of been like my Mm. thing right now Um, social media wise my phone wise I recently found the do not disturb function Mm -hmm. and I've been really um, tapping into like how much um how much we're accessible to one another and how much accessibility people have to me as an artist and a person. So that's what I'm kind of curious about recently. Yeah. To kind of just like think about that more. Yeah, no, I, mm-hmm. I, that's a good one because as of late, I'm just like, I need to step away from the devices or I just don't want to be like, it's not like don't text me, but I, like you said, that do not disturb function is like, I want you to be able to text me, but I want to not have to respond until I'm ready I'm to sit down and do that. A notify anyway type of thing. <laughs> you break through the do not it's disturb. Just, <laughs> you notify anyway, girly. Absolutely. <laughs> well, because I also don't, I'm not like like hunting people down that way. Like, if I need to talk to you, I, I need to talk to you. Mm. Like, I'm not just bothering you. When I text, you respond. <laughs> when, when I text, I text you, you respond, respond bitch. <laughs> no, I, I get that. I get that. It feels like it's a lot, right? You mm-hmm. feel, like, I always think, like, oh, my God, I didn't respond to this text. I didn't respond to this email. I didn't respond to And then the anxiety just starts mm-hmm. to build up. It's a, it's a whole lot. It's a whole lot. Um, but let's, let's start the conversation here. Okay. So I think it would be interesting to just hear what everyone's first experience or exposure to drag culture was. <laughs> um, yes. And then maybe like after you share your experience uh, or your first experience, just talk about like how your understanding of, of the drag experience have evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, who I'll wants go to start? Because I, I very very distinctively remember in college going to Nelly's in DC and they did drag bingo. I forget what night of the week it was. And the drag queen's name was Shaquita Lee. And Mm. she was everything. And I think my first thoughts about drag were, I was a little intimidated, I think, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of what you see on TV or what you know, like you kind of think, okay, they're loud. They might call you out. They Mm -hmm. might, you know, Mm -hmm. all of those things that you might think when you first are exposed to a drag queen. I think I had every one of those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then going to drag bingo, because... A drag queen, they're feeling they're gonna get in your face, they're gonna ask you <laughs> questions, they're gonna make you do something that, that gets you out of your comfort zone. And in the end, it was like a regular staple for me. Like I was going every week with with friends because it was like, Oh, y'all going to drag bingo? Like, let's go cut up and get our lives. And they they would walk through the aisle, there would be performances. And so 
I think over time, um, especially after having watched shows like Drag Race, mm-hmm. seeing the that these people who are drag queens are actual humans, and there's a story behind. And that's what I love about Drag Race is like you get to uh, uncover and unpack who these people really are, mm-hmm. and that's that's the secret sauce. I think why the show above like above and beyond like the the makeup and the hair and the looks and all that stuff, um, the production of it, I think it's the stories, the human stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think about that. Like who are who are who's this person when they are stripped down? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a good point because when I thought about this question, I actually thought about my first ex- like my first exposure to it on TV. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about like when I was younger and RuPaul would be on TV shows and I'm thinking specifically I just like in preparation of this um episode I actually just looked back on RuPaul's appearance on um good in the house Oh. With Debbie Allen and LL Cool J, yeah, yeah, and RuPaul was on the show. This is 1995, but uh, RuPaul's actually playing a straight character that was good friends or college friends with LL Cool J, but then uh, was sharing the fact that he was a drag queen in the episode. He talked. He actually said um, female impersonator. Um, instead of drag queen. But um, I thought that was really interesting. I think that when I think about RuPaul on TV. Like, it was like a mixed thing. I feel like some characters would be like, oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. And then other characters on different shows would be like, yes, like, come on. Like, it was confident. It was beautiful. It was glamorous. And so that was kind of like my first experience of it. But to to Tony's part, there wasn't really much context to like RuPaul outside of that drag experience on those Mm -hmm. TV shows. And usually those were like one episode things. Um, And so I think that my experience has grown a lot too, or my understanding of it has grown a lot being terrified, like coming to the show and being like, (laughs) I really hope they don't make me sing or dance or or come up on stage. But like since then, it's like oh like it, it it represents a symbol of confidence in my in my opinion um and so watching shows like drag race as well it's like oh, okay like let me hear the story like mm-hmm. let me hear the backstory let me hear like let me see the stage but also the person behind the, the the stage persona so it's just been a lot more of a well-rounded understanding i'll say no jordan i think it's interesting when you talk about context mattering i think mm-hmm. about my first experiences seeing drag when at a time in my life where I was less secure with like my sexuality and like had all these, I don't know, like burdens or like ideas around gender that were kind of um, based in respectability. And I remember like, you, there's also this component. I remember like when I was first in the New York City Gay Men's Course, like a big um, element of that organization is drag. Mm-hmm. And like, he, like you guys would come to those shows and like, we do big gay sing in the spring it's a pop show and like part of it is drag performances a whole drag team so on and so forth they're like queens that they've been doing drag for like 40 years they're in the chorus 60 yeah. 70 years old like putting it all mm-hmm. and i had to reconcile this idea of respectability as like a cis gay man that doesn't do drag or and so on around like will people take us seriously if they see this and like who are they and what are they taking serious mm-hmm. and it was one of those things that made me question like ideas that I had, like, I think so much of like learning different aspects and facets and cultures within the queer community is about maybe unlearning things that you think about or things that are put on to us. Um, so that was the thing when I was thinking about that, that journey for me, I was like, yeah, I, like I originally, uh, my initial thoughts were like, ah, too much. But I'm like, girl, too much is never enough. Put it on. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And what about you, Olivia? What's, you what's know, the tea? The tea is piping hot. <laughs> <laughs> Baby, when I think of my first uh, interactions with, with drag and the idea of drag and RuPaul, obviously we saw RuPaul on a lot of like TV shows and stuff, but I distinctly remember visiting New York with my family and we went to Madame Tussauds, the Wax Museum. Mm -hmm. And um, the RuPaul is in the main room, at least at the time, when you first walk in on this like big like water fountain thing. So like the RuPaul statue is just like standing big and tall with big hair. And I just remember looking up at the statue and just being like, there's this woman, this person, this, um, that I don't quite understand my um, connection towards them, but I do feel like I'm being, I guess, represented in a way because I saw the feminine energy within RuPaul mm -hmm. and I loved that. Um, but I also knew that it this person walked through their everyday life as uh, uh, a man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of always thought that in the back of my head. And my family never really said anything. Oh, that's RuPaul's. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, it gives like, oh, that's the that's that's RuPaul's. That's what she does, you know? Mm -hmm. And they let me have um room and space to create that um connection myself, which was nice because um, you know, I see that as a privilege. Not a lot of people get yeah. that. Mm -hmm. They have to get re have to reacclimate and yeah. relearn. So um once college hit and I found RuPaul's Drag Race, child, it was game over. And I loved the art form. I started to go to the gay clubs and see drag. Mm -hmm. But I always said to myself, I would never do drag. Mm -hmm. I would never. Oh, baby. <laughs> Absolutely not. Because I was like, this is so much work. And like at that time, I literally remember saying, which nowadays I would, you know, Baby, I'm I'm the femme of the femme, baby. Period. <laughs> but back then I was like, oh, I'm gay, but I'm not that gay. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I remember saying that to my, my like roommate and my friends and stuff in college. And I just quickly found myself enamored by the the artistry that was drag. Went to school for theater. Baby, I was just an eyelash away from drag at that point. <laughs> and, I mean, if uh, 301, baby, this this there. Uh, but I definitely, um, I definitely think it was a journey for me as it is yeah. for everybody. Mm -hmm. And RuPaul was definitely a catalyst in my journey of finding who my artist self was, yeah. which ended up being Olivia Lux. Yeah. So, because so, I I don't I, I want to make sure I didn't miss like what flipped the switch there for you when you you went from no absolutely not to an eyelash away. What made you put those lashes on? Do you know what is gaggy? I have no idea. Oh, and <laughs> it, it, uh, to this day, I think I sit down and I think about what was that moment in my head where I was like, oh, I'm a drag queen. I think I literally was at a gig one time and I was like. Oh, <laughs> you walk by the mirror. I'm a drag queen. Oh my god! It gave that. It really yeah. gave that. And I, like all Tino shade. Um, did someone? Did you? Have, I'm obviously like we all have people that kind of like our 
I call it my fairy gay mother, yes. someone who just like, here's how you do this. Mm -hmm. yes. Like, who's that person? I have a drag mother now. Her, her name is Madeline Hatter. I will say somebody very special to me. Her name is Harmonica Sunbeam. She, oh. um, I, I don't know if you're familiar yes. with her. She, um, she is like one of the spearheads of Drag Queen Story Hour in New Jersey, mm. uh, a fierce black drag queen. Um, and she saw me in the crowd one day of the small gay bar. And I was a makeup artist at Sephora. So I had my little blue, little shimmer in my eye, mm -hmm. but just dressed out of drag, you know, chilling, Freddie. And she saw the eyelash away mm -hmm. situation. <laughs> she came up during the show with a microphone. Y'all wow. would be terrified, clearly. <laughs> I'm sorry, I think and, this may be the uh, <laughs> Yeah, with the microphone saying, hey, what's up? Um, and uh, she was like, do you do drag? And I was like, no, no. <laughs> and she said, do you want to do drag? And I said, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then she asked the audience, she said, should he come back maybe next week and try some drag? And everybody was like, yeah. And it felt wild to have that support in this bar of wow. like, it's very intimate, small bar. I, I don't know, I, I felt like it gave me the opportunity and chance to just try it out maybe. Yeah. And to this day, I think about that night being a night that was like an introduction but maybe by that time, I was twirling heels on stages and stuff <laughs> already. So I don't know what the specific moment was, but Harmonica Sunbeam um, definitely um, attributed to that moment for me. And she has a special place in my heart. So if you're listening, because I know you are a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. So like, thinking specifically about Olivia Lux, I'm curious, like, when did you define that persona? Was that always in place? Or was there like, you know, during your introduction into drag? Was it something else? And then it evolved into Olivia Lux? Like, what was that process like? That's a good question. I like to think of Olivia as the culmination of all the strong women in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandmother, my two aunts and my mom, they all raised me. And uh, we had a good old time, baby. I mean, <laughs> karaoke nights, we were performing. I've been performing since a very young age with, with all of them in the house. Mm -hmm. And I specifically remember um, my grandmother in the den had this wall of VHS tapes with like Sparkle and Dorothy Dandridge, the Carmen, like all of these mm. like historic black cinemas that were like, black old Hollywood glamour that I would look up to. Dream girls, I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And um, for me, I think I started to dream up this persona of someone that encapsulated this black old Hollywood glamour, but mm -hmm. also emulated the women in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like classy, but still sexy and fly, and and all of the all of these things that I see Olivia as, um, and I think that's kind of how I put it all together in a box and put a little a cute little sequin bow on it. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's how that's how she. That's how she came to be. Also, Olivia okay. is, a, is a, a cute name, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I thought up real long to find a name that nobody else had. Yeah. <laughs> and then Lux, I really liked because it felt like polished and clean and pristine. 
but I didn't want to add an extra X or an E because it wasn't really luxurious. It it meant light to me, you know, mm. it's the Latin root for light. And I think my drag, I want to continue to spread light on, you know, things, but also positivity. I love to fucking smile. And <laughs> I felt like it was like a perfect match for me. Olivia Lux. Yeah. How does how does the persona um, of of Olivia Lux differ from your everyday persona when you're not Olivia Lux? You know, RuPaul always says like your personas end up like melting together, mm. and you should drag queens are like superheroes because you can use this energy and power that you have when you have the wigs and the heels on to help uh, feed and source the energy and confidence for your non drag self. And I really think that that has become a vital tool for me as Freddie outside of drag mm -hmm. because I wouldn't say I'm like a not confident person, but baby, I could always use a little extra boost every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> yeah. And Olivia really helps with that. Um, I think, I think Olivia is a little bit more outgoing going is it, I think that's that's the easy way out of this answer to say because <laughs> maybe when when we're on we're at the clubs and stuff like that but Freddie really is a little bit more simple homebody I like to be underneath you know a little a little cover watching some Netflix you know mm -hmm. what I mean yeah um and I don't think we can really picture Olivia doing all of that I mean <laughs> maybe some people but um is Freddie shy Oh, Frank, so do, do not disturb. Also, do not notify anyway. No, I do think I have a bit of shyness to me. Um, but Olivia just like helps fuel that, you know. I'm really happy when I'm Olivia, and it makes sense that like my it feels like my voice goes up, it feels like I'm everything is smiles and everything. Because drag is what I love to fucking do, yeah. so mm -hmm. just made it just made sense for me. Mm. I love that. We all I feel like put on some sort of persona when we need to mm. dial it up a bit. Yeah, in yeah. front of in different scenarios, whether yeah. it be work, whether you're going out to the club, whether it just be, be family. Um, I think that we all need that boost, and we in like I think about obviously Beyonce when she, Beyonce when she says on stage. She used to say, you know, I'm Sasha Fierce on stage. Mm, and I mm -hmm. think we all need to have, we all kind of put some some sort of like, we may not name the person, our other personality, but it's in us. And we know yeah. we need to like turn that person on. This person needs to come out. Or sometimes a little alcohol now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a little liquid I'm Tony. <laughs> Tony, then I'm Tony when I got the alcohol. <laughs> you know, a little bit more unguarded. And you need to be on guard. <laughs> okay. Period. Oh Accents. my goodness. A goo, baby. <laughs> All right. But let's turn a bit, I think, to world events. Um, discussing the attack on drag um, in the last couple of years, it's been a topic for many Republicans um, with sweeping anti drag legislation. Um, why do you think drag queens are the target of this group right now? Mm. You know, uh, this year has been wild for drag. Um, I have also uh, been able uh, to take part in a lot of um, a lot of events, a lot of uh, organization-based events 
um, to raise awareness. I was able to attend the CMA Awards this year, and I performed with a co-host, Kelsey Ballerini. Mm. And uh, for the first time ever, they weren't in uh, they weren't in Tennessee. They mm. were in Texas, which was a big thing because the laws in Tennessee. So uh, Kelsey Ballerini decided to have some drag queens on uh, on her set. And I remember going into rehearsal and at the end of the number, the entire stadium lit up in a pride flag, all-inclusive pride flag. And it was incredible in rehearsal, but I kept thinking to myself, this is going to be televised across the nation, the Country Music Awards mm -hmm. um, in Texas at this time, mm -hmm. yeah. in the summertime, where Drag Queen Story Hour, a bunch of drag legislations were happening where you can't even go outside in drag. It is illegal, right? Um, you're going from gig to get wild stuff, right? There was a point in time where I had to, my management had to look up um, laws for each of the states for my gigs outside of New York and outside of the tri-state area. So it was definitely a wild time for drag queens. And it always has been a difficult um, thing to juggle. Do I take off my makeup after the show to get home? Do I, how do I, do I take a car to my next, is it safe, right? Is mm -hmm. it safe? Is yeah. it safe? And to answer your question, I thought long and hard about this and reflecting on it these past few years of, of traveling and, and, and being out and about in drag. I think it boils down to drag queens understand something that I think a lot of cis heteronormative folks um, that are against drag shit don't understand. Um, I think drag queens have a higher level of understanding when it comes to gender and we're here for a good time, not a long time situation, <laughs> amen? And I'm not saying that as a drag queen pretentiously, I'm saying I think people fear folks that have more knowledge and understanding about life and being and existence. I mm -hmm. think they, they fear that, mm -hmm. therefore um, they tend to shun those individuals out um, or lash out on them because of the fear. So uh, yeah, it makes sense that the individuals that are being targeted are the ones that that get it, that are support structures for communities, for marginalized individuals, um, that understand, you know, gender wholly, completely. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, the bigots that do, don't understand it at all, won't understand it, do not want to understand it, are fearful of those individuals because they do get it. And knowledge is power and they see us as powerful. Yeah. Ooh. I, <laughs> I, so many things you said resonated and I, I sort of have a similar thought about it just because I do think that with the um, extra visibility mm -hmm. that, um, that the drag experience is having um, is threatening the way that our society exists today. It threatens mm -hmm. the binary gender um, construct. And so even looking at the anti-drag legislation, it's so frustrating because in certain states, they're saying essentially that, you know, male or female impersonation is 
automatically equate it to mm-hmm. adult entertainment, which is such an ignorant thing to say. Yeah. And you, when I look at that, I'm just like, these are not reasonable human beings that are coming up with this legislation mm-hmm. because why in the world do you think that, you know, dressing in a certain way um, automatically means that you need to be 18 years or older to be exposed to it? Yeah. It's just, it. it's, it's reaching for... Is it reaching for straws? Grasping at straws. Grasping, Grasping at, straws. at straws. It's 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 really frustrating. And it's I think about like my childhood and looking at things like this is Delphire. Mm-hmm. Where I'm just kind of like, I never looked at that and thought that was family friendly. And there's right. so many aspects of the drag experience that are family friendly. Mm-hmm. And I think that these like certain states that are choosing to conflate the drag experience and just bucket into this adult entertainment thing is just really ignorant. And it, to your point, it lacks a true understanding of what the experience is. And it's yeah. just, it's stupid. And I think it is built out of fear. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's all a big distraction um, that they, that these politicians would be, you know, have this attack on drag. I think it's smoke and mirrors. And I think it's to divert attention from the real issues. So it's mm-hmm. like, let's focus on this thing and make this thing real big and happen. And while on the side, we're going to be doing all our dirty, our dirty work and very mm-hmm. nasty work going on on the side. And um, I have a theory that one of these Republican politicians was, you know, politics is personal. And so I think they were probably turned down by a drag queen and decided, <laughs> decided, let's go ahead and, you know, I can, I have the power to influence people and make laws happen. Mm-hmm. And so I found a little bit of information I want to share with the, the class today. Uh, so, as we mentioned earlier, Tennessee was the first state in the country to pass a law placing strict limits on drag shows when the state's Republican governor, Bill Lee, signed the legislation into law. Now, Lee signed that law despite a photo emerging of him showing him dressed in drag as a younger mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, the irony. And, and I it think it wasn't AI, child. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and uh, there was also a quote in this article that's um, from Kate Ellis, who's the CEO of Glad, uh, CEO and president of Glad, and she said it's puzzling because drag has always been an art form celebrated for centuries across cultures. Um, and one of the things that it said is, I think my note was cut off here, is that. Um, from Shakespeare mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. military bases to bridal showers to bingo, as I was saying earlier, like it's always been around. So I was just like, why now? What's going on? And it's the distraction. Or yeah. a Republican politician was slighted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they was going to put their foot down. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like you even think about like a, a British court. I'm like, they're also sitting up there in wigs and makeup. Like it's just... Mm-hmm. It's drag. It's drag. <laughs> um, but further, I, I think uh, Republicans in particular, one of, I use best in a devious way. One of the best things they know how to do is message. Oh. Um, I think that being, well, I guess I'm more independent, but like being in left-leaning messaging gets very complex and hard. And like you have to be this like Ivy educated person to understand like what are you trying to say and do? Mm-hmm. Whereas on that side of the field, it's, Drag is pornography for children. On that side, it is critical race theory is going to make everybody hate white people. On that side, it is um, like like very just simple ways of o- oversimplifying almost 
and yeah. flattening what they're really doing, what they're really talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think when you simplify it that way, then you get whole swaths of people behind it. Then mm-hmm. you are offending every religious person when you do it this way. Then you are offending every parent who feels like they're losing their right and their kids are learning things they don't want them to. Um, and I think that when you do that, it's really this like grasp for power. And like when you can message something in a way that gets most people behind you and it's so simple that it almost seems logical, then 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 you hold on to that power. Then the people who, as Sylvia mentioned, who really get it, who are truly living it, who are really Mm -hmm. challenging norms um, and trying to understand the world in a more complex way, like then they lose power. And like it's all this like shifting and grabbing for power from a very nasty place. Yeah. But <laughs> fuck those nasty people. But you know, I, I do. I do have a. Um, I am a little bit optimistic so that some of these, um, some of the legislation is being overruled struck down and struck yep. down. Yeah. But the fact that it was even a thing in the first place is just like, what else do y'all have going on? Right. Nothing. Like there's there's a lot of really priority things that we need to be focused mm-hmm. on in this country. And I'm just, I'm still shocked that that whole thing, it happened and it's still ongoing. It's just, what are we fighting? Right. Yeah, and it's like, it's threatening to the the art and the culture as well. Not even just physically threatening to the queens, obviously, because mm-hmm. um, people feel they are empowered in states that anti-drag legislation is getting passed. They feel as though their point of view is getting across and they can continue their bigotry right but i think it is also targeting the culture because then you have certain laws that state you can do drag in clubs and venues but you're going to have to charge a certain percentage for a booking fee um or a certain percentage for like an entry fee Mm. a cover fee and that's not like logical usually drag shows happen because the drag artist wants to be there they get hired by the the um you know location and things like that not by the patrons. I mean, they get tipped. So it is now threatening the culture because now you're not going to have as many drag opportunities and mm-hmm. drag shows and drag mm-hmm. queens in general. And we want more. We want mm-hmm. to keep the art alive. Mm-hmm. And it's it's threatening in that way as well, which is, I, 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 I know, Jordan, you were like flipping to the optimistic and I, I definitely... Um, see that I'm I'm thankful that I'm here in New York and it's thriving and it's bustling. Baby, I was just at a show, okay, yeah. last night, <laughs> um, and the energy in the room was beautiful and the the artists were so so incredible and in bringing the community together and that's what it's all about community. So I think moving forward, thinking about all of these laws and legislations and things that we can do to 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 band together to to make it right. Um, we think about that. We think about community first and foremost. I specifically think about, like I said, I think at the top of the episode is on RuPaul's Drag Race when the queens are in the workroom or in the Interior Illusions Lounge. Yes. And they're telling those stories as they're beating their faces or as they're untucking, waiting to for the, the judging. Um, that, to me, that's the joy, the stories behind um, these people's lives that get shared and you realize how much you relate to these people because they're having a human experience just Mm -hmm. like anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so I really, my hope is that people take a step back and realize that these aren't just like characters that are performing and, you know, 
that they don't have a they're, they're not human beings underneath all of this and just think about I, and I, I I say this but I know it's really hard for people to, to take themselves out of the situation and think about other people and other folks experiences and really have some empathy and compassion because that person is uh, a, a, a son or a daughter or um, has kids or has you know are going through hardships or just like the rest of us are um, and so people it's like dehumanizing to me in a way mm -hmm. because you take the human aspect out of a, out of what you see and just like that's drag and it's all these bad things and it's like no actually take a step back it's mm. a person breathe relax yeah. it's not that deep yeah. and recognize yeah, yeah. It's, you've it's funny you made me think of something even as you were talking i was like on the human part of it but on the other side of it like we say like the wigs and stuff but, like it's craft mm -hmm. like doing hair sewing knowing how to paint like it it's craft in the same way that if you were a famous makeup artist or a famous hairstylist or a famous designer or seamstress um you would respect those people it's like rolling all that shit into one human being mm -hmm. and doing all of it and and, mm -hmm. and i think sometimes we don't recognize how how like you know i'm very adamant about like respecting art and craft and the things that actual human beings do with like their person their body like the output that you have the ideas you have um and i think that that's something that is also fucking incredible and you may not understand it but you should respect it right. in the same way that you will respect a person doing the same level the same type of work under a different title mm. yeah and olivia i'm just gonna one plus the the comment you made about community um just because if anybody has been to a drag show, especially <laughs> somebody like me, my very early times going, I was just like antsy going in, not really sure if I was going to get called on, but I always left feeling more confident. Like mm. I could feel the confidence. And when you actually are picked, you know, to maybe like sing or participate or say something on the microphone, for me at least, I always walk away just feeling a bit more seen and feeling a bit more confident in my body. And we interviewed Raquel Willis earlier this season, and she talked about her experience um, as a drag queen in, in college. Mm -hmm. And just thinking about like how that experience impacted her life and also gave her more language and more confidence in gender fluidity and gender expression is so it's so needed. And I think that there's so much to gain outside of just entertainment purposes mm. um, from the drag experience. So that community building aspect is, is super, super important in my mind as well. I agree. Supporting drag queens, going out to shows, supporting the art form. We're always learning. We're always growing. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, Drag Race was incredible. But like, what do you do after that? Yeah. And for me, I ended up finding ballroom after Drag Race because it was important for me to go to the to the root um, of my, I feel like what my artistry was, you know, drag is there and then there's like um, deeper uh, and it felt like drag race is so incredible and gave me this platform and is a very commercial thing that is easily accessible now. Mm -hmm. And now it's up to us to go further and deeper and learn more about our local artists and our local shows and where did this even come from oh this ballroom culture that's rich and thri and still thriving mm -hmm. so uh that that definitely is where it's at now that's the call to action baby yes mm -hmm. yeah 
<laughs> Y'all been to a ball before? Yeah, I have mm-hmm. been to a ball. I would love to go. We we always miss the latex. Well, I you guys went when that We've year been. Rihanna was there. I, 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 don't, I, don't think, I don't think I've been to that. Oh, one. we gotta go. But yeah, I I'm was down. Oh, yeah. Period. I'm yeah. down. No, we we keep saying it and I've, like we've been to a ball. I've been to a ball. I'm just saying like oh. I want to go to one now. And y'all yeah. should y'all should walk. <laughs> Jordan first. <laughs> I actually What's the category? <laughs> Yo, wait, quickly. I want to know everybody's categories. So, oh, my goodness. Um, if you had to pick. I mean, okay, but, performance, um, hands, face, The only performance I'd be able to do is hands. Runway. Oh, best dress. I could do that. Maybe runway. That could be fine. Okay, yeah, runway, best be, dress. It's getting Butch Queen it? up in pumps. <laughs> okay, first time. Of, first yeah, time. I will probably do runway. I could see that for you. Yeah, that, yeah, I think I would be into that. But I will also be open to a lot of different categories. So, um, yeah, but you know, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan he's trying to scoop up all the trophies. I'm say, I want Jordan to do old nasty duck walk. <laughs> I don't. I think I'm beyond that point. I just I feel like it's been You're really tough on my knees. <laughs> right, child, I, like I cannot duck walk. Baby. I want to mallards, baby. <laughs> <laughs> duck walk here. I give hand performance. Okay. I want to be able to win, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> So nice. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Well, Olivia, thank you so much. You've thank been y'all. a fantastic guest, and we've had a ball talk, chatting with you today. Um, before our listeners, um, anything you have coming up or where they can find you, um, just share anything you want to share now. You know, I'm always up to shenanigans. <laughs> you can find me on all social media platforms at the Olivia Lux. Uh, also on Grinder, Black People Meet, you know. Period. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll see y'all on there. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And that is all the ha- time we have this week. This season of Surface Level is presented by Moby, mobilizing our brother's initiative. If you enjoyed this conversation, let us know your thoughts and questions at surfacelevelpodcast.com. And remember, stay curious.